This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, Stephen here from Double Tap. And uh, yes, it's Friday, the 4th of November, 2022. And today on the show, we are talking about your feedback and also talking flight simulator. Yes, the popular flight simulator game is accessible now. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your host, Stephen Scott. Yeah, guys, welcome along to the show. Stephen here with you. Robin is back with me once again. Robin Christofferson. Hello. Hello. Really glad to be back on again. Sean, get well soon. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't heard from Sean, but uh, I'm deliberately not calling him. You know that way, you, you know someone's off work, right? You, you, you're not supposed to call them when they're off work. You're supposed to leave them in peace. I am tempted to call them, like right now on the show, to say, where are you? Come on, get yourself back in here. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to do that because, you know, I am a half-decent person. I did say half. Anyway, how are you? <laughs> yeah, really good, thanks. Tip-top form. Um, yeah, it's been a busy week, so... Uh yeah. yeah, but looking forward to rounding it off in style. Do you know something? I really, really enjoyed our conversation yesterday on Shortcuts. That was that was one of my favourite conversations for a long time. There was so much to talk about, so many wonderful shortcuts. Uh, there is one, though, which really is bugging me, and I'm hoping someone in our in our listener sphere... Is that a thing? Listener sphere? Yep. yep. Let's it's just now. decide it is. Um, <laughs> I want to know if there's a simple way on Windows... To navigate from the look-in field, you know, when you go, you say, say you're in an open dialog box or a, a save dialog box, usually, and you want to look in a particular place to, you know, to, to find a file. So you go to look in and then you drop down and you could say desktop or documents or downloads, or whatever it might be. And then you could either save there, but you might have a file inside there or maybe a, a folder inside that that you want to get to. So you have to tab, 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 tab until you get to folder list. Is there a quick way to just jump from the look-in straight to the folder list? That's my question of the day. There might not be an answer to this. I don't know if there is. Uh, I actually I put this to you last night because I was, I'd meant, I texted you last night and I'm like, did you have any idea here? But And I thought you being the font of all knowledge. Font or font? Font. font. Okay. I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we need a lawyer on the show with this not sometime. the font of all knowledge, if I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> if you don't know that one, you really are the font of all knowledge. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I thought you would know this, but you, you didn't know either. Well, Alt-I is for, for look in. Um, mm. So we can jump there. Alt-N is for file name. And sometimes a shift tab from there will take you to the folder list. But as we discussed last night, not all dialogues are created equal, are they? They're oh, all subtly different thing about Windows, depending on the it? application. It's all over the place in Windows. It's so... I mean, it's funny, we talk about the Mac being inconsistent with its design. But, you know, Windows is no better, really, because it's got a huge legacy. So you yep. have dialog boxes dating back to the 80s on these machines, and then you have modern dialog boxes. And then when you go into Microsoft, there's a whole other ballgame if you're in Backstage View. or Oh, yep. it's just... I, I don't even get me started on Microsoft Office and Backstage View. Thankfully, there is a setting to turn that off, um, because otherwise I, I would turned go it back insane. on recently. Really? Yeah. Simply because tabbing through it, there is actually some really useful stuff in there, like the recently f opened uh, yeah, list yeah. of files. But yeah, so escape obviously gets rid of that backstage view and just takes you to a blank document. So, but yeah, it's pretty useful. Pretty useful. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't get the answer to this. I did ask Matt Ater, our good friend at Vespero, because I wanted to know if he, because I, I had in my head, I had in my mind at least, that he had mentioned something about this, either on the show, off air at some point. I remember somewhere I heard something about there's a way to do this, but actually in true Stephen Scott style I got it wrong. Um, and actually what I heard was something different, but I do think it's quite useful to know. Now let's say you're in a dialog box and you want to save something and you are in the file name field, okay? So mm -hmm. you're typing out the file name, which is uh, robinrules.doc, right? That's your name of your file, robinrules.doc. Can I be doc, docx? I want to be a modern oh, Okay, file fine. You can be please. a modern doc. Okay, so robinrules.docx. So you've got that, and uh, you want to know where you're going to save it. Now, you're right. You could just do Alt-I, which is what I normally do, and it would tell me where it's going to save. If you don't want to move the focus, 
you can do insert tab. So while you're in the file name field, you hold down insert and you press tab, and that will tell you where the file is going to be saved, but it doesn't move oh. the uh, it doesn't move the focus. I think that's really good to know. I did not know that, or at least that's yeah, that's, that's obviously what I've specific. heard, but not taken in. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's jaws specific, though, won't it be? Say so, that is jaws yeah. specific. It seems yeah, but, but good that, tip, that's though. that's great to know, right? I mean, that's a brilliant little feature if you if you use jaws. Can I tell you two of my favourite um, <laughs> hotkeys? Talking about backstage, I knew we'd end up back on this. I just love this topic. Yeah, carry on. <laughs> So certainly in Word, I'm not sure about the others, but the one thing about Backstage is that the save and open dialogues are really custom and really awful. <laughs> so if you want to bring back the old open and save and save as dialogues, it's F12 and I think Shift F12. I can't remember which one's which. F12 for open and you get the old classic dialogue up again. All right, so you can just have to You don't have to turn it off. You can just jump to that old style if you want. Yeah, instead of Control-S for save, for example, or Control-O for open, those will give you the new dialogues, you know, that, that are associated with the backstage view, and it's really difficult to navigate. So F12 and Shift-F12, I yeah, think. That's the memory. I can really tell this is going to be a topic we're going to be coming back to time and time again, because already... Um, you know, as I put out on Twitter, people were coming back and saying, you know, what? I, my favourite shortcut, I, I like this one. Uh, Evren writes, uh, speaking of keyboard shortcuts, the one I use a lot is the delete key as you're alt-tabbing through open, open applications on Windows. No need to focus on an app to close it with alt-F4. So as you're tabbing, alt-tabbing around, you want to close an application, just press delete. So you have to keep your thumb on the alt, I guess. Yes, you would, oh, wow. yeah. So like that's good. Delete. I did nice. not know that one. Ever in your star. I love this stuff. I just love learning yeah. all these little things. And this is how I learn. This is exactly how I learn these things. Because, you know, if you were to sit down, as I did, as I, when I started using JAWS, I remember getting a trainer who was a brilliant trainer, by the way, at RNIB in the UK. And he was a great guy. And um, I'll name him, Barry Coates. He's an absolute star at RNIB. And he has helped so many people get to grips with assistive tech and really pretty much a one-man band in in his field. I mean, I think there's more people there now, but at the time he really was, he was the guy to go to. I mean, if you needed to know something, he would know. And if he didn't know, he'd find out. And um, I remember spending hours with him, like a whole day session on JAWS. And I just said to him at the end, I just can't learn like this. This is just too much for me. And his enthusiasm and passion was just absolutely spraying out all over the place. <laughs> but I just couldn't keep up with it because it was like as a, a phrase that Dave Dame uh, from Microsoft told me on the show once, uh, which I've never heard this phrase before, but I use it a lot since, which is trying to drink from a fire hose. Which I think is just a brilliant <laughs> description of what you're sometimes trying to do with these softwares, especially when you're coming to it new. You know, you know a lot of the shortcuts to move around. So the command, the control C, the control V's, the you know, the control O, the control P. We know the kind of basics. Um, and I was lucky in the sense that when I was growing up, I was encouraged to use the keyboard, even though I wasn't using a screen reader. I was told all the shortcuts. Although interestingly. In, in our school, and it was quite unusual at, at that time, everything was Mac, which kind of leads you to why I'm more Apple than anything else, I think. But, you know, and I've probably got such a, a great connection with Mac because it, it was all Macs. So everything I was doing was on it. Um, and I was learning all those shortcuts, which, you know, for the most part, although there are obviously some differences now, um, you know, they were all the same, bar, what you know, swap command for control. Um, but no, just just really interesting, you know. It's, it was the keyboard is is such a powerful tool, and you know, oh. it, I, I just I mean, feel... I've said that so often, you know, right from when I first started at AbilityNet. One of my lines would be, guys, if you want to be a power user, regardless of impairment, learn the keyboard hotkeys because you know you've done the keystroke like F seven for spell checker or Control Shift L to create a bulleted list from you know a number of selected items in a Word doc. Say, yeah, before. Uh, you know, somebody who's a mouse user has even half reached for the mouse, let alone grabbed it, moved it, clicked the thing, clicked the sub thing, put your hands back on the keyboard to carry on typing again. So, yeah, it's a really, really powerful thing to do. Talking about Matt and learning to use JAWS, I'm surprised he doesn't big up the um, FS Reader and the ability to listen to all of those 
MP3 tutorials, because you were saying like the firehose scenario, mm. these are in bite-sized chunks and they're there on your computer. You can revisit them as many times as you like. You can do them in small chunks. But the real beauty and power of FS Reader that is like the vehicle for listening to those is the control P for play and pause. You don't have to have the focus on that application. So you can be learning the JAWS tutorials for Word and all the hotkeys and everything. And you're in Word and you do control P, you listen to a bit. Oh, okay, this is what I do. Pause it with control P, do the thing in Word and then pick it up again. So that is what I would recommend for people, you know, because all the there's hours and hours of tutorials on there. And then if you need an extra boost at the end, when you've already got the basics under your belt, then look for free sources or paid sources of, of training to take you that extra mile. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've often been a little bit, not dismissive, but I've often been, you know, trying to almost simplify that process a little bit for people because I think that there's a lot of time when we just want to get something done or we don't use an application to the extent of someone who's in full-time employment. I will say, though, that if you're younger, even if you're not younger, even if you're you know middle-aged or you know, someone who wants to get back into the workforce after a period of time or whatever it might be and you're blind, spending the time to learn this stuff is really valuable because it puts you in a really good position going into a job. Um, you know, I know from just, just, just with Microsoft Teams, you know, the amount oh. of hoops you have to jump through with that sometimes and the ways to navigate through that it does take a little bit of a rewired brain to be able to do it and you have to spend the time you have to give yourself the time and arm yourself with the knowledge because you know you've just got to and look i've got friends who are volunteering right now they're volunteering for different things and they are involving themselves with large organizations and as a result, there's an onboarding process. So they have to be brought in. They have to be, you know, given all the various policies on security, on safety, on all the rest of it. And all that is delivered through teams. So someone who is just wanting to help out, just wants to, you know, give their time to an organization as a volunteer, still has to go through all that process. And if you've if you've not got the information and you've not got the knowledge, then that obviously can be a problem. And I know my friend, for example, who's very keen to do the volunteering, she's really up for doing it. And that's meant that she really has pushed herself to learn this. And I think that's really valuable because even if it doesn't turn into a job, even if you know, you've just learned skills and those can be transferable skills because once you know how to navigate through one program, you can use those skills to navigate through the next one. Um, that's how I learned the Mac. You know, I took it application by application and then would just be like, I wonder if that would work on here. Oh, it does. Wow. Okay. And then suddenly you're kind of picking the different tool from the toolbox to be able to do what you need to do. Yeah. I mean, Teams is so complicated that, you, you know, where do I start? I just, oh, it's yeah. a morass of controls. Now, I would definitely recommend the Teams scripts from Brian Hartgen. They're brilliant. And they come with probably 10 hours of mp3 tutorials and believe me you need that to be able to become a basic confident teams user so i totally get that unfortunately they're not free but they are worth every penny so yeah um if you want to look for the brian hartgen h-a-r-t-g-e-n teams scripts Shall we get to some feedback? Because uh, lots of you have been getting in touch, as always. Feedback at doubletaponair.com. You can also call and leave a voicemail on one eight seven seven eight zero three four five six seven. Now, Callum got in touch with us uh, recently to talk about uh, some of his dictaphone woes. He was trying to get a file off his dictaphone and wasn't getting very far. Well, he's come back with an update. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for that awesome help. I will try those tonight. I am a counselling student and the dictaphone has a pin to secure it, though this is not hard to figure out. Is there a time limit in voice notes? My sessions are an hour. I think I'm going to play my blind card with uni to let me use my phone because it's 2022. Also, forgot to say, hashtag friend of the shed, hashtag more Lord Robin too. Thanks again. Callum in Yorkshire. Oh, I vote for you, Robin. As a new hashtag. <laughs> Ta-da, here I am. <laughs> well, there you go. Just like magic. Um, Thanks, yeah, Tom. so so he was having problems getting the file off the dictaphone. And uh, it was. It, I think it might have been something to do with the fact that it was coming up with some kind of message. But there you go. Actually, it was. It was asking for a pin. Um, hmm. That's, I mean, really? I mean, come on. In, in 2022, 
voice notes aren't as secure voice memos on an Android device, on a, on a, on a phone, on a, I mean, surely that's more secure than anything else, isn't it? I, I don't know. I'm just wondering about the phone thing. He was saying that he needs to ask permission to use it. Are they not well, I know this, this is a case in offices as well. So, you know, I know businesses that won't let people use phones. Now, granted, we're talking personal devices here. So, you know, if there is a business phone, maybe someone, you know, a company has given you a device, then I would see there no issue using that because that's on their, that's their system, that, that's their device. Um, but as for individuals, well, that could maybe be a great area for sure, especially if you're dealing with personal information. But this is, it sounds to me like it's lectures and, and stuff like that. It doesn't sound like yeah. it's something that, you know, is not, yeah, I mean, it's not, okay, it's not public domain in the sense that if he was to start going outside and, and playing this stuff out on a, on a radio stream or something, that would be a problem. But he's not doing that. He just wants to be able to capture these notes. And direct question or direct answer to your question, Callum, these voice memos can run as long as you've got hard drive space in your phone. I mean, it can run for hours and, and days if you really wanted to. I think I once left a voice memo running for about a day without realising it was still recording in the background. So, yeah, it'll go as long as you've got the space. Um, I use RecUp, which I know people have been recommending on Twitter as well. It used to be called Dropvox, and it's so simple. You just uh, you can set it so that when you tap on the or double tap, on the icon, it Very opens nice. up and it immediately starts recording. And when you close the app, it stops recording and it drops the file in your preferred Dropbox folder. And I think they're um, MP3s. They're very small, but their quality is fine. I think one thing with voice memos is the files can get quite big because I think Apple wants to you to have nice quality files. You yeah, know, you can change really that. high quality for you can yeah, change it in yeah. settings. You can say compressed versus you know lossless or whatever else. I mean, you can you can choose that. Absolutely, I know that Just Press Record has dictation, you know, um, transcription as well, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Whether it that does. would do it for an hour's file, I don't know. Um, I think it does. I mean, I think from- it just goes on as much as I mean, it, it does it. It doesn't do it instantly. So once the file's finished, it starts to work away on it. Um, and it's not brilliant. But you know what? It could be useful. You know, it could just be useful if you want a text translation of what has been said. Um, yep. I love Just Press Record. I'll tell you what another place to use Just Press Record and voice memos, in fairness as well, is on the watch. I think this is one of those unused features <laughs> of the Apple Watch. Um because the recording quality on a watch is incredible. And just think about it. If you're wearing, say, and you've got to think about what you wear. <laughs> this is an important thing people maybe don't think about. But if you're wearing, say, a short-sleeved shirt or a T-shirt, then and the Apple Watch is essentially open to the elements at that point, then that's a good thing. Because then, you know, it's not going to be encumbered by anything that is, you know, a shirt or a jacket or something, you know, rubbing against it so you would lose sound because it's being muffled. So that's something to think about. But yeah, Apple Watch is brilliant if you've got one, Callum. If not, though, and you've got a phone, any device, frankly, will do the job, uh, any modern device, and the quality will be fine. I mean, it'll be just as good as the Dictaphone, to be honest. Um, And you can even buy, if you really wanted to, you could go and buy specialist microphones. I say specialist, I mean, just, just, you know, like I think about the Shure MV88, which is a little plug-in microphone you can put at the bottom of your a phone and when it actually goes into the bottom, it makes your it makes your iPhone look like a bottle of whiskey. It's a fact. Um, the, <laughs> I mean, a half bottle of whiskey, no, not not like a proper one. Um, but it Pretty does max. give, <laughs> but it does give you the um, it does give you the added edge of of having a better microphone on there. But you know, you don't need to spend that money. The phone or the microphone inside an iPhone or an Android phone is perfectly good enough. So or the um, watch. Yeah. Uh, or the watch, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, well, look, I hope this, I hope that gets uh, resolved. But do let us know how you got on, Callum, because I'd be intrigued to know how that story develops. So thank you for writing back in with that. Laura's reading our emails today, of course. And uh, this one is from Gary Crow with a suggestion for those of us who want to wear our iPhones. Hello, Stephen and Sean. I have found a perfect solution to using Ira hands-free. I have shared this discovery with several people, but no one seems to be interested. Perhaps you will be the exception to the rule. First, there are a lot of lanyard phone cases on Amazon and elsewhere. The problem is that the rings to attach the lanyard are always at the bottom of the case. That makes the camera upside down. I purchased one of those cases that let me remove the rings from the bottom. 
I then got my son-in-law to install one of the rings to the top middle of my iPhone case where the lanyard attaches correctly to use the camera. I then purchased an adjustable lanyard, three for $5 on Amazon. Here is the trick for using the camera with Ira. Adjust the lanyard so the phone is almost up to my chin. It then lays flat at the top of my chest. In that position, it does not move when I walk or walk around. I've never had an Ira agent comment on their camera not staying steady. I might add that in that position, it does not matter how substantial one's middle is. I can start the Ira session with Siri, and if I need to actually flick around on the phone, I simply adjust the lanyard so that I can hold the phone in my hand. When finished using the phone, I just adjust the lanyard so the phone is back up where it belongs. If I need to turn the phone for the agent, I can just turn my body or turn the phone with my hand. This is what seems to me such an easy and obvious solution that I don't understand why no one is interested. The only actual challenge is to get the ring onto the top of the phone case. It would be nice if one of the case companies would make a line with the ring at the top or a kit that does not require a son-in-law to install the ring. I suspect that the ring could also attach to the back of the case, so long as the ring itself extends above the top. There you go. A perfect low-cost solution that apparently interests no one. Maybe Sean will want to take on the challenge, since he does seem to enjoy the low-cost idea. Thanks for your great show. You are appreciated. Gary Crow. Oh, thank you, Gary. I appreciate that. Um, wow. That's like a, a good idea. I mean, look, this is this is it. We're kind of fashioning our own solutions to this problem, right? DIY. You can see why the ring is at the bottom, because when people kind of hold the phone at the bottom of the lanyard and, and tilt it up towards their face, the, the bottom then becomes the top, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, really good idea. If anyone wants a lanyard, I've got a drawer with literally about 60 or 70 in there that I forgot <laughs> to hand in at the end of a conference. So, yeah, take your pick. I can, uh, I can do that bit of the DIY for you guys. If, um, yeah, I will say that. And also, if you buy any specialist technology, no matter what it is, up to and including a Perkins Brailler, I wouldn't be surprised, it will come with a lanyard. I don't know why you'd want to walk around with a Perkins Brailler hanging from your neck, but if you chose to, I'm sure it's possible. Um, that's the kind of lanyard I want, you know, the one that can sustain that. Uh, but no, you're, is, is, is the, a friend of mine did this where he had bought a luggage strap. So just a, basically a lanyard with an iPhone holder, and then he bought a luggage strap and wrapped that around his waist so that the phone would not move at all. And that's another way of doing it. Again, just a very cheap way of doing it. Um yeah, I liked the touch about having it up on your collarbone, basically, you so that it's you know. Well, that's doesn't better, isn't it? Definitely, you can even get these um, extendable. I think a couple of the lanyards I've got at the end have got like a, a spring-loaded piece of string with a hook on the end, so you can yeah. pull your card out if you want to. If you need to tap it on. Oh there. yes, yes, yeah. that's right. So then you could have it always up there because he was adjusting it when he needed to to use it. So you could just kind of pull it down and do whatever you needed to do with it um, rather than adjusting the lanyard. But yeah, they're few and far between probably. Well, when you think about all the people who use these, I mean, in the mainstream market, the people who would buy something like this would be the people who are the off-roaders, right? The bikers, the the people who want to take video on the move. And, you know, especially now with the iPhone having all kinds of new gimbal-like capabilities mm. to move around and, and hold a really steady shot, um, you'd think that there'd be more on the market to achieve this. And, you know, it's not all, it can't all be bike mounts and, you know, helmet mounts. There has to be something else. And, you know, just people want to walk around and wear this thing, right? I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. people will want to do that. I know that I often go back to security. I'm often very wary about, you know, having these things on show too much. But if it's secured on you, then, you know, they might have a bit more of a time getting it off. Uh, and I think also, I'll just say as well, if, you are, if you've got a phone case, around your phone just make sure it's a dark color so people might not notice it you know if it's like screaming yellow or something that might not be ideal um, because the whole world would know you've got it uh listen i want to get another couple of emails and i want to uh, jump to uh this one uh, this is from caleb oh hello 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 Stephen, sean and mark thank you amory for your suggestion of a running vest slash smartphone holder i have to dress up for work and i'm interested in trying this out at least it won't be on my head, so I'm already optimistic. Several months ago, Sean mentioned a company called Scotty Vest that specialises in garments with loads of pockets. I wonder if one of their shirts or jackets might also work. Has anyone tried any of their products? They are quite pricey. 
but maybe the company will send a few samples to the Double Tap team so they can do product reviews. Changing gears entirely. I have more questions for you all. I recently decided to go back to school as part of my retraining plan so that I can still enjoy worthwhile work despite my escalating blindness. Last time I was in school, I was fully sighted, but now I rely heavily on text-to-speech programmes. What are your favourite TTS programmes or apps where you can upload a PDF, PowerPoint, Word document, etc.? There are plenty of fine apps if you want to use your camera, but when I have to get through 100 pages of reading, that's just not practical. Along the same theme, do any of you know how to invert colours on a PDF? I use the free Adobe Acrobat Reader on Windows 10 desktop at work. I often have to open and grab specific information out of a PDF, and for now, I can zoom in enough to use my remaining vision. But it's still black text on bright white background. After several hours of this, my bucket of sight is empty, and I'm really tired. Everything else on my computer is in dark mode, but it doesn't seem to work with Adobe. Is there any way to make this happen? If there are several popular programs that have to be adjusted individually like this, maybe this could be a future Shaun of the Shed episode. Thanks, gents. Thank you for reading all our emails, Laura. God bless you, Mr. F. Caleb from Minnesota. Hashtag friend of the shed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all covered in that one, Caleb. Well done. I think you get the gold star today for that one. Um, so can I just throw in a voice stream reader and speech central as two of my applications I would go to for, for what you're talking about, Caleb, in terms of reading documents on, you know, PDFs, whatever, in an accessible way. Mm-hmm. Voice stream reader and uh, speech central are two great options for that. We actually did and a show stream, on it recently. Um, you might yeah. want to check it on our YouTube on uh, Double Tap TV. We did a whole bit with them, uh, voice stream and also on speech central as well with Ivan Eachin from the company. So yeah, go, go check that out. Without, um, I know you said that, you know, scanning in hundreds of pages isn't a, an option, but if you have 50 pages, Voice Dream Scanner, really good too. And then you're all in the same kind of stable. Yes. And a nice little stand, photo, fold out stand for good positioning. And you can really get through those pages. Just one final point on that message. And that is, of course, the invert um, colours aspect, which is a real problem across some applications. Any thoughts on that, Robin? Um, I'm pretty sure Windows Magnifier has got an invert colours feature. Certainly Zoom on Mac does and obviously on iOS too. So that hotkey that we talked about yesterday, Windows Plus, to toggle in and out Magnifier just for the times when you've got this blasted white background. So, um, yeah, in uh, Windows Plus key and hopefully it'll just flip if you've set the Magnifier up to invert. Oh, such a good point. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good idea because then you don't have to worry about the application having the option. Um, I don't know if I, you might not notice this, but I've noticed certainly on Windows, um, whenever you go between certain applications or if you open up a new window for something, you get this flash of white light, even if it's in dark mode. You still get this flash of light. I remember years ago I used to have this with a Dell XPS and it actually made, made me send it back because I thought it was a problem with the Dell XPS um, because at that point it was quite new. It was the first 4K screen. And I remember thinking, I don't know why I have a 4K touchscreen. I'm never going to use it in any meaningful way. Um, and I thought maybe there's something going on here. Jaws isn't playing well with it. I don't know. But in the end, it turned out to be just a Windows thing. And um, yeah, you do have this horrible flash of light every so often, which I don't don't know why it does that. You know, I kind of think it should be um, it should be better than that. I would have thought. But um, early yeah. impl- implementation of dark mode, maybe, and they hadn't quite got yeah. all the. Uh, Right, one more quick comment from Rebecca. And this is on a subject I know close to Robin's heart. Okay. Mm. I love the new system settings in Mac Ventura, though I am still getting used to it. The system settings remind me of iOS, and I'm wondering if Mac and iOS will become one in the future. I find that Eloquence works better on the Mac than the iPhone, so I'm using Vocalizer on my iPhone SE. The only thing I do not like so far is the use of Samantha by default at login. I am still using an M1 Mac and see no reason to upgrade the hardware. I have a request for you and the team. Would you demo how you put Windows Arm on the Mac? I want to get your perspective on the process as someone who doesn't have an ARM device. Thanks, Rebecca. The short answer to that, Rebecca, yes. 
I'm going to do a demo of it, especially with parallels and using VOCR, because I, I want to show how easy this process is, thanks to that wonderful VOCR feature, uh, which otherwise would make it inaccessible and did in my first attempt. So, yes, we will definitely cover that in a future episode. And I'm not going to make you wait too long on that, because I know it's something a lot of you are keen to hear. And uh, I'll happily walk you through that. I actually, I've got my MacBook Pro I use every day. And uh, it doesn't have it on just now. So I think, well, I'm going to do it on this and uh, I'll, I'll walk you through the process because I'm keen to put it on here anyway. So we'll get that done. Uh, and uh, yes, iOS, macOS joining together. Mm, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, look, uh, we're going to move on because coming up in just a moment, we're going to be joined by two wonderful guys to talk about the work they've done on making Flight Simulator more accessible to a totally blind person. Stay right there. Send us your feedback to feedback at doubletaponair.com. Leave us a voicemail at 1-877-803-4567. You're listening to Double Tap. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. And let's talk about Flight Simulator. Now, you may know of this application. It's a brilliant game. It's been around for a long time. Some would say it's more of a hobby than a game, really, uh, because there's so much involved in it. But, you know, for a long time, it's not been the most accessible, right? I mean, flying a plane might not seem the most obvious thing for a blind person. Well, uh, two guys decided during the pandemic to change all that. Jason Fair and Andy Borker join me now to talk about what they've done to make Flight Simulator more accessible. Great to have you both here, guys. Uh, so, yeah, Jason, maybe kick off by telling us uh, what you've done. Sure. So um, the project that we've been working on is called Talking Flight Monitor. And I was trying to think back to when this, when I started this, I think it was 2018 or 19. It was before the pandemic for sure. And I, I just, I'm not remembering the exact year. Um, but it, it started off, there, there, ha, there has been access to flight simulation for quite some time uh, in various forms, um, sort of cobbled together, you know, various add-ons and things that people could use. Um, but there was never anything sort of comprehensive. And there was one system that was really quite good that, that uh, you know, some blind people were using. But then the developers stopped developing it. And because part of the system was online, the whole thing just shut down and, and nobody could, could use it anymore. And so this has sort of been a, you know, learn to code slash keep sane during COVID um, <laughs> project. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I started this um, back in 2018 or 19, um, honestly, it originally started with, we were using um, either Microsoft flight simulator or something called Lockheed Martin prepared, which is a, sort of an offshoot of, of Microsoft Flight Simulator. And somebody asked, well, we can sort of take off and fly around with some of these other things, but we don't have any idea where our aircraft is. So is there any way that somebody could write something that just tells us where the aircraft is, like as far as like what what, what the nearest city is? And um, I'm like, I, I thought it was, huh, I think it, maybe we can do that. So, you know, the, the aircraft sort of provides virtual GPS positioning. And so I was able to hook into an online database and provide, you know, that information based on your GPS position, what your nearest city is. And it sort of snowballed from there. Um, and, you know, now we were reading probably a few hundred different aircraft instruments. We've got tons of hotkeys. Andy, you joined, was it 2020 you, you came yeah, on? Yeah, it was 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was writing the software set of on my own and then Andy came on in 2020 and we converted it to uh, a more robust uh, language, coding language, and uh, yeah, that's kind of what we've been doing. And Andy, what did you bring to the table for, from your perspective? What were you doing? Well, so I have a bachelor's degree in information systems and application development, so I brought quite a bit of technical skills to the table, but I also had an idea. Um, one of the add-ons that we used to use was useful but far from accessible and my idea was well okay if jason is getting uh certain things from the airplane i wonder if i can make an accessible version of this other inaccessible app that people are using 
My idea was, well, you know, if this guy's doing it, but it's inaccessible, the only problem we have is user interface. So mm-hmm. I got a hold of Jason and proposed his idea because, you know, I figured, well, he has things in his project that I could use, and most likely he, I would have things in my project that he would want to use. So we just got talking, and we got together, put some things together, and it exploded from there. <laughs> what made you want to do this, guys? I mean, for, and I know that might sound like an obvious or a bizarre question with an obvious answer. But, you know, what what made you choose this particular game? Is this, is this a personal thing? Yeah, I don't, I, I, um, aviation has always been something I've been interested in. And, you know, I've always sort of known about flight simulators and, and, and known, you know, what they were. Um, and I figured, you know, if it's the closest thing we're ever going to get to actually flying a plane, most likely. Um and so I, just, I don't know. I just when I sort of when I started looking into the the amount of add-ons that are available to flight simulators and the sort of the rich programming environment that they give you, I don't know. It just it just seemed like a neat challenge to see how much how much we could actually get into it and and pull information out of it. Yeah, your, your coding brain kind of jumped in and thought, hey, you know, we we could do something with this. It's, it's almost like a, a toolbox that you want to just jump in and, and play with. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so for me, I remember back in 95, 98, maybe even a little bit before then, uh, when Microsoft first came out with Flight Simulator, one of the very first versions ever. And they also had Space Simulator, too. But I remember loading it up, looking at the airplane, looking at the cockpit, looking out the windows, thinking... This would be interesting to fly, but, you know, at the time I had the site, but not the know-how. Well, later on, it was, I somewhat had the know-how and the interest, but didn't have the site. So it's kind of flip-flop backwards. And so there was one of the community users that sent some email to an email list about flight simming and I'm like, well, wait a minute, how is this even possible that a blind person could actually fly a simulation of an airplane? So I read the email and this particular person had like videos all over the place about it. So before I even did anything with it, I sat there and watched practically all but every 372 hours worth of how-tos and videos and things that this person put out. And I sent them in, I sent them an email and says, you know, your videos are one of the things that got me interested in this again. And uh, they thought it was pretty cool. But I'm thinking, you know, and I was thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, like you said, programmer mind in the toolbox they get together <laughs> with the usable interest part and what can we do and what can't we do you know another part of the uh, the interest was when I was getting ready to graduate uh, from school they told us well in order to gain some experience for employment you should find especially if you're a programmer you should find something like an open source project or something that you can get behind, you can live with, and you can contribute to to get some kind of work experience. And so I happen to have find or happen to have found this, and uh, it stuck with me. And that's what's great, right? Because it's personal development for you guys, which is great, and you get the chance to try lots of things. And there's nothing better, I guess, than trying something that other people can use and enjoy. It makes it more purposeful, right? Rather than just, you know, making the computer say, you know, a word or something. You know, <laughs> for coding as well. I'm not a coder, can you tell? Um, but you know, it just really interests me how this all works. Jason, from your point of view, I mean, what was it like when you started, you know, rolling this out and people were able to get their hands on it and try it? 
It was pretty amazing. It was it was the first um, it was the first product you know that I'd ever really produced. Um, you know, this was back when I you know, the initial versions of it, and it, it really kind of took off. Like people were to say, well. You know, you can do this thing, but, you know, can you get access to this? Can we get access to the autopilot? Can we, you know, how much instrumentation can we get? And, you know, is there a way that we can find out if our aircraft's flying, you know, straight and level or not? And is there, you know, there's just people kept asking questions and I kept looking into the system and going, yeah, actually, we can do that. Because um, we're just, we're repurposing a lot of the information that, you know, that that sighted people get. Mm. And and we're just giving it to you in an, in an audible way. Um so it's uh yeah it's been pretty amazing yeah i want to dig into that a little bit so you know sure. just and really this is from the layman perspective because i know nothing uh anyone who listens to my show will, will know that only too well um <laughs> so but i am intrigued in playing this i really love this because you know i i once uh did have a go at a flight simulator without any you know accessibility enhancements and i couldn't even get the plane to move an inch so I just gave up. I mean, I did. I will admit, you know, I know you're supposed to start this game, you know, flying some kind of very small, you know, wing aircraft or something. You know, I, I jumped straight into a 737 and thought I could fly it. So, you know, obviously that wasn't going to work out for me. Um, I don't know what the handbrake was. That was the problem. I think that was the issue. I couldn't find the handbrake or anything else. But um, how do you make, I mean, you know, when you think about that, right, because a lot of people will want to jump in and do that kind of thing. And obviously, I guess with this game in particular, it is about learning. It is about understanding flight. Is that how you are playing the game yourselves? Or you let me just try to jump into 737 and get off the ground? I mainly, you know, a lot of times are flying whatever happens to be supported at the time or whatever we're building support for. Uh, mainly as testing it's not like a pleasure thing but mm. uh, if we do take it from a pleasure point because sometimes I do try to find time for that it's I wouldn't say it's more of a jump in and just let's go because you know the airplane has many different panels many different segments uh, I think on the 37 that we're rewriting support for right now i count at least 400 or 500 different control switches and indicators so it can be overwhelming mm. um, the best thing that we usually tell people to do is learn the basics on how to get things done first and then take it one step at a time basically yeah, because that because there are um, and actually it's funny, Stephen. It's funny you mentioned the seven thirty seven because that's the aircraft that we're that we're have the best support for right now. Mm -hmm. So oh, cool. So yeah. <laughs> um. It so there's a so when you buy a flight simulator, um, it comes with obviously a series of aircraft that you know come built into it, but then there are other aircraft that are people call payware or you know basically they're extra aircraft that you have to buy, and the one of the payware aircraft is has an extremely rich uh, software development kit that we can that we can drill into that is is far 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 uh, more integrated than the free planes that come with the simulator so um so the, the the aircraft i mean you can use the free aircraft but the the best support right now is the 37 and so i mean we have full access to you know all the panels we have full access we've built an accessible version of the flight management computer which is the uh when when pilots are actually like pilots don't fly airliners anymore right no they, well they that's exactly that's right the computer yeah, runs they program pro them they and say program go. the computer the computer yeah. flies it yeah for, for the most part i mean there's on takeoff there's some manual control and on landing there's manual control but doesn't have to be um so, you know, um, so we've got full access into all of that, which is which is far beyond anything that the free planes give us, at least not yet. Um, so, but as far as to answer your question about learning, it, it it's a huge learning curve. Um, it, it's it you you mentioned the word game, and it's interesting because if you get on the flight simulator forums and the people that are really really into this stuff. <laughs> And you start calling it a game. Oh, yeah. They're not going to be happy. They get, yeah, I get they, it. They get really get upset that. with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Um, but but because it because it really is a uh, I don't care. But but I mean the the um, the uh, it it really is a learning curve. I mean there's 
there's a user guide that they send along with that with the 37 that it's it's massive like it's you don't have to read it cover to cover but it's huge yeah um, like their flight deck manual that they sent is well over 2500 pages in size wow yeah i mean it's and it literally is licensed by boeing so it's it's a it's a it's um it's a stripped down version of what actual pilots would get so it's um yeah it's pretty it's pretty uh, pretty interesting so it's so it's a hard thing to sort. I mean, I mean, people that are interested. What I what I often what I tell people is, you know, you're probably not going to just jump in a cockpit cockpit and take off and go. Mm. Um, it's you know you're going to have to do some reading. You're going to have to watch. And the the good thing is there's a lot of YouTube videos out there. Some of them by our community. Some of them by just other enthusiasts that are quite well described. So there's some a few different YouTube channels that we point people at. Um, that. Uh, you know, and, the, and we have a website. There's, there's the, and we can give these later if you want. But there's, no, a, tell us no, tell us no. Yeah, so there's, there's two websites. Um, one of them is obviously is ours, which is talkingflightmonitor.com, um, and the other one is bvipilots.net. And so talkingflightmonitor.com is the the site for our software, and bvipilots.net is a site uh, run by a member of the community that is. Um, uh, just sort of, it's a kind of a repository of, of information, uh, tutorials, videos, stuff like that. So where are we with this now? Uh, you know, can I go off and get this? Uh, I mean, I guess I have to go and buy Flight Simulator. You're not selling that, right? So I'd have to go and buy that software. And then after that, I would get th this download. Uh, and is it free? How does it work? Yeah, you would go to developer's website for the flight simulators. Um, I believe for Lockheed's, it's prepar3d.com. And the other one uh, that has been out for a couple of years now, that's fairly new, it's uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020, and you can get it from the Xbox app on your Xbox or your laptop desktop. And then once you do that and install that, then you go to talkingflightmonitor.com, click the downloads link, and download Talking Flight Monitor. Install it, and your basic setup is pretty much complete uh, from that point. Talking Flight Monitor itself is open source. It's free to download. And there's a documentation on there as well, so people can find out what to do with it. Because obviously once you've got it, right, it's like, no, okay, now what? Yeah, there is some. Um, uh, the part of the part of the the classic developer, you know, software developer issue is we've been spending a lot of time writing software and not a lot of time, not en not enough time writing documentation. So, um, you know, if, if people go to the bvipilots.net site, that's probably going to be your best bet. Um, there is some documentation on the site. There's just not enough of it. Um, the bvipilots.net has documentation. Um, I should I should also say that um, Andy mentioned Xbox. So this uh, flight simulator um, and and our software is only available on PC. So you can't do this on Xbox. Um, it's it's it has to be the PC just because on Xbox you don't have the the add-in infrastructure um, that the PC has. Um, so and and FS twenty twenty support is very new. Um, so. Um, Typically, how we do things is we have sort of the the one release out that we call stable, you know, the sort of the stable release, and that that release is actually getting a little bit old at this point. Um, there's another download link on the site for preview releases, and these are sort of you can sort of get features as we're working on them. Um, possibly a little bit less stable, but you you get a little more upcoming, uh, you know, up and coming things. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is going to be going into the preview release, you know, in the next month or so uh, that isn't in there yet. So there's been a, there's been a lot of development in the last month uh, regarding flight sim 2020. So the, all that support is going to go into the preview release. Um, you know, I, I don't, we don't like to give dates, but I'd say in the next month or so. Brilliant. Well, you know what? It sounds incredible and I cannot wait to try this out because I just think any opportunity to do this, I mean, 
you know, my only gaming experience there, I used the word, sorry guys, but you know, the, the only gaming experience, <laughs> like I said, I don't <laughs> the, only, the only gaming experience I have is with the um, Euro Truck Simulator, which is my uh, game of choice to, to drive trucks. And I think it's only because I could, I've got a little bit of vision and it allows me to be able to navigate a truck, which is good for me because it's slow. It doesn't go fast, which is the point. <laughs> if it's a, if it's rapid driving, I cannot do it. I can't keep up with what's going on. But I can manage a truck at about thirty miles an hour with be- I, I, the funniest thing is when I'm in that truck driving, cars beep behind me because I'm not going fast enough. It is hilarious. <laughs> probably how I drive in real life. But um, this is really cool. It is absolutely brilliant, as you say. Talkingflightmonitor.com. I got that right. Um, yes. that is the place to go and, you know, go check it out and, and let us know how you got on with it if you want to try. And, and, you know, like you guys say, this is something which you're going to take on. It's going to be a hobby. It's not just a game. It's not just something. It's more than that. It's something which you can, you know, really develop into. And that, like a lot of people who get into like fantasy football leagues and all these kind of things. It's just like that. You get right into it and, um, it should be accessible, right? These games, these features should be accessible. So well done to you two. Oh, thank you. Thanks. And I want to make a note, too, that the series of aircraft that were supporting at the time, uh, the Lockheed Prepar 3D flight simulator, we have a 37, a 47, and 77 series. It's done by PMDG, and they are known for... Uh, study level aircraft, which basically means that, you know, pilots, when they go out and fly, they need to have simulator time to work through scenarios, practice, keep their skills up or whatever. These airplanes that we are supporting are a stripped down version of what they use. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah, you're really, yeah. And, and like you, you were saying this earlier, Jason, as well, about, you know, the capability you have to, to really dig into the SDKs of that and, and actually bring out all this and surface all this information out audibly, which is just incredible. Like you say, it's going to take time for people to learn. It's going to take time for people to do, but that's the whole point, right? You get into it, you engage in it. It sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to try it. Guys, thank you so much for coming on to Double Tap. You're welcome. Yeah. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We're back tomorrow with more feedback and more conversation. Marco Flalo joins me for the weekend edition. Have a great Friday. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-TV every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. The Walrus is Canada's conversation and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.